0: Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the podcast of The Porch Church. We hope today's message really blesses you and encourages you in your spiritual journey. If you have questions or want more information on our church, please visit www.theporchchurch.tv. So how would you fill in the blank? If I handed you a, a chalkboard or maybe a piece of paper, like a bulletin that had a blank that said Jesus is somewhere on it, right? How would you fill, how would you fill that in? What would you write in the line? What would your family write in the line? What about that neighbor, that co-worker? What about that atheist friend that you had a conversation with? What about an agnostic? What would you write in the blank of, of who Jesus is, right? As we kind of saw in that video, in that opening, Jesus is a lot of different things to a lot of different people. It kind of sometimes depends on your perspective, right? It depends on your, maybe the lens that we look through the world, maybe the things that we think about, what we write down in that blank, right? Some people say he's God's son, he's the savior of the world. Other people might say, you know, he might have been a good moral teacher, he might have been a historical figure. Other people would write down far worse things about who they believe or interpret or think Jesus is. Sometimes we let our others shape our opinion of who he is to us, but, but this Easter, as we kind of look forward and crescendo to that time, just a short few weeks away, what if we pulled back kind of our, our preconceived notions, maybe on what we think Jesus is about or who we think he is, and what if we just dug into the Bible? And what if we just let Jesus define who he is for us, right? Jesus is one of these rare historical figures that we have a well-documented, a well-preserved, well-maintained record of. As a matter of fact, as we go throughout the scriptures, we're going to see that there's a number of times within Jesus's ministry where he answers this question directly. This is who I am. So what if we set aside our preconceived notions, just approach Scripture fresh each week with a blank about who Jesus is and then let him answer it? We're going to do this by flipping through the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, in John's retelling of the story of who Jesus is, he actually has these, what's called the seven I am statements. Jesus is speaking or he's communicating a message and he has these poignant moments at least seven times in John's Gospel where he answers this question directly for us using the phrase I am. So we're going to dig into John's Gospel. I'm going to invite you to do that. And and in today's world, right, in a world full of, Opinions and fake news and news cycles and all of that stuff? What if we just peeled back the layers and just peered into Scripture and just said, okay, Jesus, who do you say that you are? And what does that mean to me? And how does that affect what I would write on the blank of who I believe you are and who I believe you to be? So that's our goal of this series. We're going to kind of define that each week. I hope you'll come back and be a part of it, or when you miss, tune in online, because we're going to build all the way up and through Easter as we let Jesus tell us exactly who he is and what he stands for. But today, we're going to start off in uh, John chapter 6. We're going to go through kind of chronologically, so I'd invite you, if you brought a Bible, to turn there. Maybe you want to use your smartphone. Type in John chapter 6 quick. It's important that you have the Word in front of you, because we're going to connect some dots throughout this story. If you didn't bring a Bible or I should are walking around right now, they would love to give you a a Bible. And if you take one of their Bibles, you get to cheat because I give you the page number. Uh, It's on page 502 there. And uh, uh, if you'd like to turn there, follow along again, I just want you to see this. If you don't own a Bible, uh, you can just keep this. It's our gift to you. We just want you to have God's word in your life. While you're turning there, flipping there, maybe you're using your Bible app and uh, maybe your dare this year was the Bible reading challenge. And uh, maybe your little app there is reminding you that you're a little off pace on that reading challenge, right? You're just coming out of Leviticus, Numbers, it's the hard time to, uh, to do the Bible reading challenge. Those of you that are there, maybe it's time for a clean slate. Uh, maybe it's time for a new, a new adaptation. I'm going to challenge us. Let's just read through the book of John together, one chapter a day. And as we go throughout this series, you're going to kind of hit those I am statements right in line with us as we go. So you can start this week. Just read one chapter a day. You can have it remind you on your smartphone. Just push play as you're falling asleep at night. Have the narrator read the scripture to you. Uh, but we're going to walk through the book of John looking at these seven I am statements and I just want to invite you to go on that journey with us and if you don't have a life group or a small group to talk about it with maybe it's a great season to try and jump in so that we can have some conversations around these points but if you're there now in John chapter 6 I just want to point out a few things before we jump into the text just look at the the headings right as you flip through a lot of bibles have like section headings things that are on there right the very first one that we see right on top of John chapter 6 there is what who turned their feeding of the 5,000, right? So this is where we start. Jesus is feeding the 5,000. If you've never been in church before, you still know this story, right? It's that, it's that good. It's that legendary. Jesus gathers people. He multiplies in the disciples' hands five loaves of bread and two fish. And the scripture records that he feeds 5,000 men. And if you ever heard any story about this, right, 5,000 men probably translates into somewhere between fifteen to 25,000 people that were gathered around Jesus' teachings. That is a lot of bread and fish, right? That's what's going on here in this story. Then connect the dots with me, right? So what happens immediately after the feeding of the 5,000? Jesus retreats, and then it says that he walks on the water. Again, if this is your first time in church, you might even be familiar with these stories. They're so legendary. So these two things happen, right? Two of the largest supernatural moments. And as, as we're told, as we walk through this story, that, that Jesus operates a little bit differently. See, after the feeding of the 5 to 25,000, depending on how you want to do your math, the scripture records that they wanted to make Jesus a king, What better way to advance the message of the gospel than for him to be crowned king of the Jews? This is what it meant to be the Messiah. But instead of leaning into that power and that prestige, Jesus instead backs away, retreats quietly, it says, to a quiet place. And then he sends the disciples out ahead of him and he walks on the water to catch up with them later. In in an attempt to do what most of us don't do, what most leaders don't do, and that's curry, favor, and following. Instead, we see him thin out the pack. Now, here's why that's problematic. This makes Jesus either a bad leader or a weird leader, depending on how you figure out what he's trying to do here. Nonetheless, from these two stories, we can gather that Jesus' agenda is different. It's different than ours. He's up to something that we wouldn't be up to if we were Jesus. And that's as good a place as any to start. We're going to jump into John chapter 6, verse 25. John chapter 6, verse 25, this is right after those two stories, and it starts this way. When they found him, okay, pause, let's define our pronouns. So they are the people who were just fed, right? The the five to 25,000 people, the people who just got the free meal. They walk all the way around the lake, right? They wake up, they realize Jesus and the disciples are gone, so they walk around the lake, and when they arrive, they see Jesus, and they go, hey, we woke up and then walked, but Jesus was already here. So they asked him this question, right? When they, the people, found him, Jesus, on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? How did you get here? I don't quite understand what's going on. There's something in between here that I don't know how you got here ahead of us. We'll come back to that in just a second. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You were looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. That's not overly friendly of Jesus, is it? (laughs) Right? Like they just walked all day. He was with them all day the day before. That's why he had to feed them because he was teaching so much, right? These are the these are the committed people, right? These are the people who are who are following Jesus day in and day out. They walk all the way across the lake. And you're kind of being rude, Jesus. Like that's not that's not very nice. Be nicer to these people, which kind of is my first point here. So often when we hear stories about Jesus. Maybe I do. I think that we all do this too, but I tend to fill in the blanks with what I think is going to be there. I I tend to interpret the stories. I tend to interpret Jesus based on who I think he is instead of who he overtly claims to be. I read between the lines, I contextualize, well, if Jesus is God and God is loving and good and faithful and all of those things, then right here he's got to be behaving somewhat differently instead of just accepting the text at face value. Jesus' story here is that he's behaving differently and who we think he is may not be in line with his actions. And his reply is, hey, you're just here looking for a free meal. You're just here looking for free bread. Now, where would these people get the idea that Jesus was handing out free bread? Yesterday, right? Like, this is what happened. Hey, we were all hanging out and then Jesus gave us Chick fil A. I'm gonna follow that guy and I'm gonna see if it happens again, right? Can you really, can you fault them for following Jesus? Can you fault them for going like, dude's handing out free food. We're just gonna follow him no matter what it takes? But Jesus' answer is somewhat rude to them. He says, hey, don't just come for the free meal, but we just, we just got the free meal. Isn't that what this whole thing is about? before Before we get through this story, though, we just need to pause here and just talk a little bit about the symbolism. See, bread is a really important metaphor in the Jewish culture in which Jesus lived. It's actually an important metaphor throughout all of the scripture, right? This idea of bread is symbolic. It's symbolic for provision. It's symbolic for blessing. It's symbolic for food, right? It's really just the meaning of life itself, right? Bread was their staple food. They ate it often and always. As a matter of fact, meals, would kind of always consist of bread and then whatever you supplemented the bread with. To have bread in a story and to have bread be the main focal point of the feeding. Of the five thousand is not by accident. It's not a disclaimer. As a matter of fact, we we kind of see that bread is in the daily life of the Jewish people as we explore the Bible, as we read the Old Testament. All right? Let me just remind you of a story because it's going to come up here in just a second. You remember when the Israelites are enslaved in Egypt and Moses frees them and he gives them these instructions? He says, "Make bread without yeast because you won't have time for the dough to rise." And the implication there is that normally they made bread every single night. Normally the the process of of making bread was very familiar, but there were special instructions at this time. That's going to come up a little bit later here in our story. So when scripture talks about bread, it's a reference to the most basic part of life, the most basic food, the most basic provision. It's in the stories that they tell. It's how God answers their prayers in terms of resources. In other words, bread is life. That's what these people would have heard. That's what they would have connected the dots with. If we were to step into this story, when bread comes up, both in a spiritual and physical sense, bread is what provides for the life that we have. Which reminds me of a stupid internet video that I saw this week. Check it out. Bread. <laughs> Now, that's really stupid. Um, But here's the point. When I say bread is life, I want that imagery ingrained in your brain, all right? Bread is life. It's this thing that just kind of is all-consuming, all-encompassing. Bread is what kind of life revolved around. And so to the Israelites, to these people, when Jesus comes around with free bread, they tune in. Bread is important. Again, so why, why is Jesus somewhat curt here? Why, why is he, why is he short with them? What's the, what's the in-between text here, right? Well, let's go back to what Jesus actually said. He says, I, I tell you the truth. You're looking for me, not because you saw the miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Why doesn't he praise them for their shrewdness of finding free food? Why doesn't he praise them for their wisdom in following him for all the things that they get? Because Jesus is drawing their attention to to two different pieces here. He says, you're not coming because you witnessed a miracle and thus following me because of the miracles that I do, because of recognizing who I am. Instead, you're just here for the handout. You're just here for the free meal. In other words, I think that Jesus' main, uh, main focus here, main point, is that you're not connecting the dots, people. You're not connecting one point to another. You just see the free meal, and you think that's what this is about. But really, the free meal is just an indicator of who I am and the kingdom of God that I'm ushering in with my presence here. Now, something interesting develops in John's gospel, and we're going to be able to trace this thread throughout it. But in all of John's writings, not only does he write this gospel, but he also writes the book of Revelation and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. But but John has this really strong case that seeing is believing. In other words, he doesn't expect us just to believe blind faith and then to see the work of God. That would be the very churchy answer, right? Well, first believe God and and then you'll see him move on your behalf. That's probably a lesson that we would articulate, that we would say is true, but, but John comes at it from a different angle. He comes at it from a very, very visceral kind of like, this is real. We've seen him. He's been raised from the dead, and because we've seen him and heard him and touched him, his message is now credible for you to believe in. In other words, John says that when we see the miraculous clearly, that will cause us to believe John says when we see Jesus for his miraculous self when we see the work that he does that will cause something to shift within us it will cause our hearts to believe that the God who can do that that the Jesus who can do that is somebody worth following is somebody worth believing in And so Jesus isn't upset. I don't think that people are following him. I don't think he's upset that they put the hard work into going across the lake, taking that time to go around. I think that he's upset that they missed the power of God. They were so consumed with the idea of a free meal, a free handout with bread, that they missed who he was for what he could provide. They missed who Jesus was, who he was in his person, in his flesh, and instead were just looking for the free handout, what Jesus could provide. So, church, you ever been there? You ever followed God for what he could provide for you? Salvation, eternity... Get out of hell free card, insert whatever you will in there. But sometimes we just follow God simply for what He can provide for us, not because we've seen the miracles and we believe in who He claims to be, but because we're just looking for the free handout, right? We miss the fact that Jesus didn't only come to save us from something, but that He calls us to something, not just from sin and hell and death, but to life and life everlasting, to love and to wholeness. How often do we miss Jesus because we're looking? For what he can do for us instead of just recognizing his presence as the Son of God in our lives. How often does God want to give us more than just bread, more than just provision, more than just a raise at work, or more than just to win the lottery, as we all jokingly pray about? What if God wanted to give us something that was truly valuable, not just something to make our time here on earth easier and more comfortable? What if Jesus has more for us than bread? See, sometimes I think that we miss who Jesus is for what he can provide for us. We miss the very message of who Jesus is. We miss the miraculous state of who he is because we're just asking for things. So Jesus is going to teach a little bit this morning. He's calling the class to session. He says, I'm going to learn y'all a few things. Here we go, verse 27. Next line, he says, hey, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, that's a reference to himself, will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. See, Jesus says, I've got more than free bread for you. Don't follow me. Don't work for food that spoils. Don't chase after me just for the free handout, because I've got bread that will sustain you for eternal life, for the life to come, for life that is truly life. See, Jesus is crafting a message to invite them to a greater meal, a greater need than bread alone. Now, you're all wonderful biblical scholars out here. How many of you think they got it? <laughs> nope, right? So they, they key in on this whole idea. This whole, they miss this whole eternal food piece, and they focus in on the word work that Jesus used. Jesus says, do not work for food that spoils. And they say, well, then what should we work for? What's the work that we must do? And Jesus says the work of God is simply to believe in the one that he sent. Jesus, again, trying to draw their perspective away from what they're thinking about. It's not about work. It's not about bread. It's about believing in the Son of God, believing in the miracles that he's done. He isn't downplaying the things that they witnessed. He's just trying to connect the dots for them. This isn't about bread. This is about more than physical nourishment. It's about spiritual sustenance. How many of you think they got it? Nope. Again, they strike out. So they ask him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? The Greek here is really interesting. The word for what will you do there is actually the word for work. This conversation that they've been having, they're drawing Jesus away from bread and going, let's talk about work, Jesus. Let's talk about the stuff that we should do to inherit eternal life. They go on with the story of Moses. It says, our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, now listen, if you just got a free meal from Jesus... If you just saw him feed 25,000 people knowing full well that he didn't bring enough bread or fish along with him on the trip, you may not have actually seen the miracle, but you were a recipient of it, then how brazen do you have to be to ask for another miracle? Can you think about that? If you saw the feeding of the 5,000, if you were there, if you were a participant, if you ate the bread and the next conversation you have with Jesus, you go, yeah, but what do you do to prove it to us? right like what is going on in your brain at this point right the point is not that they want bread jesus is harping on the fact that they saw they saw the miracle but they did not believe they saw the miracle but they didn't believe that he was who he said he could be they want to see again And again, and then one more time, and then we'll finally believe you. And Jesus says, it just doesn't work like that. See, if you've seen and you still don't believe, then no matter how much you see, it won't get into your heart. The problem is not with your eyes. The problem is with Your heart and Jesus is drawing their connection point here going, don't just come for free bread. Don't just come for physical provision. See the greater good here. See the miraculous and then clearly believe in who I am and what God has done. How many of us have seen God work at one point in our life? Think back to a time when you can recall a time that a prayer was answered, when God came through, perhaps the moment where you declared him as Lord of your life. Think about a moment when God was particularly real for you. And then fast forward to the last time that you prayed or the last time that you sought God. See, we we have this tendency to forget to forget the times when we saw God move and then we come to him in new seasons and we go, God, if you're if you're faithful, God, if we have your favor, God, if you'll just come through on this one more time, God, then I'll believe, then I'll write the check, then I'll start serving in kids' ministry, God, but you just gotta come through one more time, God. Give me a sign and then I will obey. Give me a sign that I should do those things. Let me see and then I'll believe. I think Jesus' words apply to us. If you've already seen, but you still don't believe, then just seeing more, receiving more bread won't fix that. Jesus makes it a little clearer. Skip down with me to verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread. Remember that analogy. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen Me, And still you do not believe. Jesus says you've seen the miracles, you were a part, you were a recipient, and you still ask for a sign. You still don't believe that I am who you want me to be, that I am who I claim to be. Jesus says let me spell it out for you right I am the bread of life just as bread is your sustenance is your provision Jesus says I am the bread of life that's our blank this week Jesus is the bread of life he says if you want something to sustain you and to fulfill you something that you can depend on then it isn't the free meal that I hand out it's me I am the bread of life, life eternal, life that transcends this earth and supplies you with support for a world beyond our own. Jesus says, if I just keep giving you bread, if I just keep giving you physical nourishment, then all you'll want and all you'll expect from me is more bread. But what I'm offering, what I give, what my body is broken for is supernatural supplication. It will give you everything you ever needed, communion with God, forgiveness for sin and shortcoming, and even the solution to death itself. Jesus says you're coming for physical bread, but what I'm offering is more than so simply a meal. What I'm offering is eternity. So in our prayers, in your prayers, and our reasons for coming to church, and your responses to the call of God in your life, how often... Are you and I just asking for bread? God, if you'll, if you'll bless me, if you'll answer me in this way, then, then I'll start, then I'll start tithing, then I'll start serving, then I'll start being obedient, then I'll stop that bad behavior, God. But you just gotta come through for me on this one thing. You just gotta prove yourself one more time. God, give me my daily bread, my provision. God, provide for me. Make my life just a little bit easier. I'm gonna add Jesus to my life so that I can get the blessings that I need. God, fill my checkbook and then all I have is yours. The issue is fundamentally that God says you've already seen Jesus. You've already seen the bread of life. And no matter how much physical provision I give you, if you've still seen and not believe, then nothing that I can add to it will cross that gap because it's a heart gap. It's a missing piece in our following of Jesus. Jesus says you're asking for more bread and Jesus says bread is not the answer. If God is our provider, what is he provided for? For a life of luxury and ease or for our eternal destiny? Jesus says you're asking for bread, but I've given you enough bread. What you need is bread for eternal living, for provision beyond this life. What you need is to recognize that you've already seen God at work in your life and to believe, not ask for another sign. My my son kicked a hole in his bedroom door this week because I'm a good parent. Um, That's what happened. I finally got to speak with him about it. He was um, was visibly upset. He was scared. He was trembling. He didn't know what I was going to do. He didn't know what my reaction was going to be. He didn't know how much trouble he was going to be in. And he was just shaking. He was so afraid. He was trembling as we spoke. I took the opportunity that before we talked about consequence fractions and before we talked about um, misunderstandings and controlling our anger and all of those things, I reminded him that that nothing he could do, would do, or ever will do is ever going to stop him from being my son, from being the person that I love. His entire countenance shifted. It's like once he knew that we were going to be okay, he became open to discipline. He began to suggest things that he thought were fair. What if I paid for half of the door? How about if we take away this privilege for a week? He became so open and receptive to the work of discipline in his life because he had the confidence of my love for him. He had the confidence in our relationship. You know what he didn't do? He didn't say, yeah, but I'm kind of in hot water, Dad, so maybe if we could get some ice cream, that would really just seal the deal. (laughs) You know, Dad, I want to believe you. I want to believe that you have the best for me, but but I'm kind of in hot water now, and so how would you love me if you then punished me because I'm so scared? He, he He didn't say, Dad, give me a sign of your love for me. Prove your love for me, and then I'll follow through. Then I'll recognize your love for me. He rested in the fact that I loved him. And that allowed him to be open to my voice into his life. Church, how often do we go to God who's proving his love for us and in the midst of his grace and in his goodness and in his mercy, we go, yeah, but if you loved me, there'd be a little bit more in my paycheck. Yeah, but if you loved me, that parking spot would be open. Yeah, but if you were there, then traffic would go down. I'd get that promotion. My team would win. God, if you would do it, if you would show me again, then I'd be all in. Then I'd believe, then, you, then there'd be nothing holding back. In the midst of God's display of his love for us, we ask for another sign. We're eating meal after meal, grace upon grace, blessing upon blessing, and going, yeah, but... I'm still not sure. I'm still not sure you meant that. I'm still not sure that I should serve or give or be involved in that capacity, right? Jesus chides the the recipients of his miracle that while they see they still don't believe, they still don't act on their belief in him. And I wonder if in our life we can be accused of the same thing. That though we've seen the provision of Jesus for us again and again, we still don't believe in him in the largest areas of our life. I'm not, I'm not talking salvation. I'm not talking about believing that Jesus is the son of God. I'm talking about believing that in our living and our breathing and our going, that God actually has a plan and a purpose for our life and that it's bigger than simply going to work and coming home. That it's bigger than simply being a part of the world, but that it's actually ushering in God's kingdom. See, Jesus is offering eternity. He's offering the kingdom of God, and we're just here for the free meal. We're just here for bread. And if you think that's bad, Jesus lights it on even thicker. He says, yeah, let's talk about Moses for a bit. You remember the Israelites said that Moses brought down bread from heaven. Moses is one of the patriarchs of the Jewish faith and how he provided bread in the desert, right? The writer of Hebrews says that in Jesus, one greater than Moses is here. And you can see Jesus trying to bring this stubborn and obstinate people into the reality of his kingdom, the reality of God's kingdom here and now that begins with Jesus and exists to this day. But instead of backing down, instead of easing his message, instead of going, I know this is a lot to take in, I know that it's hard, I know that you're hungry, instead he ups the ante. He gets a little bit over the line. He crosses a boundary. He says in verse 53, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. That's a hard turn. Not that stuff your forefathers ate in the desert. They died, but he who feeds on this bread, speaking of himself, will live forever. Jesus' PR manager pulls him aside. Hey, Jesus, yeah, we got like, like healing, miracles, feeding the 5,000, all that's great, right? This uh, moral taboos, cannibalism, not so much. Right? If you want to pull off this king thing, if you want to pull off this Messiah thing, you got to back it off just a bit. Jesus doesn't do that. Why? He's either a bad leader or he's doing something different here. He's calling people to a different level of accountability. He's drawing them into a different reality. He's saying, don't just settle for bread. You're going to eat bread and be hungry again. Instead, I'm offering life, food that is real food, drink that is real drink. And it starts with the person, the very life and death of Jesus. Jesus says, I am the bread of life and I mean it. Moses gave you bread, but actually God gave it to you. Moses was just the mouthpiece and now you have God in the flesh and no matter how much physical bread, how much ease and comfort I give to you, you'll still die. But only by eating my flesh and drinking my blood, what's he saying? Only in participating in my sacrifice, only by being a team player in the kingdom of God will you actually live forever. As I said, right, this chapter is just rich and huge in Scripture, and we're going fast today because of time, but I hope you'll catch up, read this story this week, get involved with a life group, read one chapter of John as we kind of walk through this story. But needless to say, uh, eating flesh and drinking blood was not popular. It didn't go over well. It was a compelling metaphor, but the crowd leaves, and even those who'd been with Jesus, those who we call the disciples, you may remember that there's the 12, the 72, the 144, so there's layers of disciples, but even the disciples leave. On hearing it, verse 60, many of his disciples, those closest to him, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? This is a little too extreme. Sure, we've seen the miracles, and we believe most of the way, We're almost there, but I don't know if I can believe that far. Think about what they've seen. Think about what they've experienced. You would probably agree with me and go, man, they've seen more than I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, we see, but I don't know that we can go that level of belief. It's a little too extreme. It's a little bit too much. And watch this roller coaster. Jesus in one day goes from being almost crowned king They wanted to make him king by force at the end of the feeding of the 5,000 to driving away even his disciples, even the people who were committed to his teaching. This section ends with a poignant question. That's why I wanted to go so fast through it because we have to get to this point. Verse 66 says, From this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Verse 67, You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asks the twelve, people who are closest to him, his followers, the people that he asked and he invited. Jesus lays out a clear case for who he is, but ultimately he leaves it in our hands. He clearly defines the relationship, this is who I am, I'm the bread of life, and unless you participate all the way up through eating my flesh, drinking my blood, a clear reference to communion which we celebrated just last week, a clear reference to his death and resurrection on the cross, he says if you don't believe to that extent that that's who I am, then that's fine. You're free to make that choice. See, he won't force this relationship on to us. He simply lays out the truth and lets us respond. And for many, this is the dividing line. This is why Jesus can't simply be a good teacher. Because if he's a good teacher, he'd have kept the crowd, he'd have kept inspiring. Instead, Jesus is a bad teacher. He drives people away and he begs the question, who do you say that I am? He asks his closest followers, the 12 who are next to him, what about you? Are you going to leave too? See, as we walk through this series, each week we'll be presenting a truth about who Jesus is. We're going to take it directly from his mouth, directly from the scripture. Jesus says, I am the bread of life, and here's all the thing that that means. But the bottom line is that when it comes to who Jesus is for you and for me and for the people around us, the line is blank. We get to fill it in. We get to decide what's on that line in our own hearts and in our own lives. What will you write on the line is Jesus everything that he claims to be is Jesus a good teacher is Jesus somebody else is he a meal provider a vending machine is he bread or is he something more see we can wax and wane on who we think Jesus is but at the end of the day who does Jesus say that he is do you agree with him or is he something else to you I think that the church is here so that the world sees who Jesus is and then believes because of it. Too often we've just said, well, believe first in this God that you can't see and and then you'll begin to see. And John says, no, 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 no. The case is clear for who Jesus is. The signs are out there and we as his people carry that within us. See and believe. That's why we're egging people for Easter, right? Because we want people to see the goodness of God. It's why we're using plastic eggs, not... Real eggs, right? Because we want to invite people into this story, into this God who is good and who blesses for no reason and into neighbors who laugh and kids who play. We want them to see the goodness of the kingdom of God played out in our lives and maybe, just maybe, what they write in the line of who Jesus is will change this Easter season. But the hard reality is this, right? That if God could answer all of our prayers, the, the world and eternity might be no different. We'd just be a little more comfortable And if the message of John's gospel particularly and the message of this story today is that seeing is believing, the translation though is that seeing more does not equate to believing more. Peter actually gets this. Remember that he also just saw a miracle. Peter's the guy on the boat that sees Jesus and thinks it's a ghost walking on the water. And as Jesus gets closer, he says, no, it's me. And Peter says, prove it. By asking me to step out on the water. In other words, I want to see that it's you. I don't just want to believe blindly in some ghost walking across a lake, right? I want to see that it's you so that I can believe. Jesus says, come. And so Peter at this moment, having come off of the feeding of the 5,000 and off of the walking on the water, right? He actually does that, only human being in history besides Jesus who can say that. And now he comes to this moment where Jesus says, what about you? You don't want to leave too, do you? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. He connects the dots. This isn't just about bread. You have life. Where else would we go? And listen to this statement, verse 69. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Not blind faith. He says, we've seen it and we believe. Where else would we go? You're the bread of life. We believe. So today the simple question for us is, do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is who he said he is? Do you believe that he has more to offer you than simply provision in this life and in this world? Do you believe that he has a kingdom invitation for you to participate in the world in which he is creating? Do you believe that his body was broken for you, that his blood was shed for you, and that in that forgiveness that you can have reconciliation with God? I'm not asking you for blind faith. I'm not asking you to just take my word for it. I'm asking you to see the miracles, to see the way that God transforms my life, The lives of the people on this stage, the lives of the people who call this church home, the lives of people in the kingdom of God. And when we see the miraculous that occurs, that paves the way for belief. So who is Jesus? We're going to ask and answer this question every single week. And John says, see who Jesus is. And when you see clearly who he is, you'll have the availability to believe. This week, Jesus tells us, I'm the bread of life. I'm the provision for your very existence but it's not just about this side of eternity. Actually, what I have to offer is something far more deep, far more significant, far more real. I just want to invite you into a quiet time of reflection. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads as the band starts playing here. And I don't know what struck you today. I don't know whether or not you're going, man, I've been asking for, I've been asking for just bread. Instead of asking for Jesus' presence, instead of asking for his fullness in my life. Maybe you're going, my whole life I've just been told to believe, 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 but I've never seen God and I want to see God move so that I can believe. Maybe you're somewhat skeptical in this place and going, yeah, but I've never seen, I've never seen what they saw. I've never seen what they did. I don't think that's a challenging statement. I think that's an invitation from God, from Jesus, from a church that's here representing the people and personhood of God going, if you want to see God, then hang out here If you want to see God work, if you want to see miracles, it happens, and it happens regularly. Maybe not feeding of the 5,000 miracles, but there's a miracle that happens in my heart and in my life and in my worldview. There's a miracle that happens when, when I go to my neighbor and simply be a blessing to them. There's a God presence, a kingdom work that exists. Maybe today you just need to repent and ask God to forgive you, to say, you know what, I've been been asking you to prove yourself over and over again, and I just need to draw a line in the sand to to not doubt anymore and to believe that you're working for me. I don't know what strikes you, but I'd encourage you to take just a moment and to ask the Holy Spirit to to lay something on your heart. Again, if we believe that this is real, then, then we believe that God is in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the Spirit lives within you if you've believed in Jesus what's he saying to you what story is he drawing your attention to what feeling is he laying on your heart and take some time to process through that God what are you saying to me what does that mean I should do Jesus who are you to me are you bread or are you bread for eternity Heavenly Father, God, as we step into this service, as we step into this time, God, in hearing from your word, I'm so grateful that you don't hide it for us, that you lay it all out there so that we never have to know where we stand with you. But by the same token, when you lay it all out there, God, you don't make it easy. You don't placate to us. You don't don't tell us that, that everything's gonna be fine. You say, no, there's a reality that exists here, and sometimes it's a hard hurdle to jump. But God, we believe that you've shown us yourself that you show us the way that you even today work in people's lives to show them the way to you god so help us to be people that see and believe help us to be people that show others that they may believe god and help us to trust you for more than just our bread but to trust you as the bread the sustenance the energy the life for eternity as we bring about your kingdom work here on earth just as it is in heaven God, when we pray, give us our daily bread, would that be more than food provision? God, would it be spiritual nourishment and strength and sustenance for us? God, would you take us on a journey from wherever we're at, wherever we at, God, to be more in line with who you are and who you're calling us to be? God, we pray all of these things in the strong and mighty name of your Son, Jesus, whose flesh is real food and whose blood is real drink, and we drink deeply from the grace offered and provided for it there. We pray all of these things in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. All God's kids said.